Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, and welcome to the Healthy Herb Podcast, a place of information and inspiration for the home herbalist. I'm Bridget Doherty of the Solidago School of Herbalism. And in today's show, I'm talking about the four categories of herbs and why it's important to know them. Uh, Our herbal ally for the week is Hawthorne, a wonderful herb for the heart as we approach Valentine's Day. And we'll also talk about how to make a Hawthorne cordial. Before we get started, I want you to know that I'm not a doctor, nor do I diagnose or treat people. What I share is based on my own experience and what I've learned from my mentors. Ultimately, I want you to be empowered in seeking and achieving your own version of optimum health. I want you to be inspired to connect and relate to the common plants that grow all around you. Reach out and tell me what you want to know or ask me a question about herbs or health by sending me an email to healthyherbpodcast at gmail, and I'll do my best to answer your question on the show. Now, without further ado, let's have some fun and dig in. So we're continuing our series on what does it mean to be in right relationship with a plant. And today I want to talk about the importance of understanding the four categories of herbs and knowing which herb you're working with, which category it falls into. And once you know that, you can understand more about how to best work with that herb. So the four categories of herbs are nourishing herbs, tonifying herbs, or otherwise known as tonics, stimulating and sedating herbs, and then potentially poisonous herbs. Now, the nourishing herbs are used daily. Tonifying herbs are used regularly um, and usually in uh, patterns. And then stimulating and sedating herbs we want to ideally rarely use, although uh, I think as Americans at least, we really tend to gravitate more towards the stimulating and sedating herbs, coffee being a really good example. And then also uh, the fourth category, potentially poisonous herbs we want to almost never use and only use in extreme extreme circumstances. So nourishing herbs are nutritive plants that are high in minerals and vitamins and they are food-like or fruit foods unto themselves. So examples of these would be kale, garlic, dandelion greens, oats, uh, plantain, um, edible weeds, um, and then my top five favorite nourishing herbs, which are oat straw, nettle, linden, um, red clover blossoms, and comfrey leaf. And we delve into those in the online course, Nourish Yourself. 
Um, so these herbs we basically want to use on a regular basis, daily, uh, as a f- source of food and nutrition in our everyday life. And we can use them in any quantity for any length of time. And no matter what, we will gain benefit from them. Tonifying herbs are more like um, exercise. So they tend to be tonics and they might have affinities for different organs or organ systems of the body where they can actually strengthen and tone and make more effective the processes that those organs are are doing. Uh, Such plants would be burdock, dandelion root, um, yellow dock, astragalus, hawthorn, which we're going to talk about today, and um, schizandra. There's a large variety of these tonifying or tonic herbs. And so we like to think of them as, um, you know, almost exercising the organ, so strengthening it, and we want to use it in in some sort of a pattern. So if we want to, you know, use one tonic herb for maybe one month and then switch it up to a different tonic herb, we don't want to just use it one time because it would be like exercising if we were to just go for one walk or one run versus if we were training for a marathon Um, We would want to go for multiple runs um, every week to build up the tone of our muscles. So to build up the tone of our different organs, these herbs we want to use on a regular basis, um, but it doesn't necessarily have to be daily, and we can switch up the tonifying herbs that we're using throughout a year. The, there can be a little bit of a confusion between the difference between tonifying herbs and stimulating herbs because when we take and enjoy tonic herbs, we tend to feel better and we have more energy. Um, they often have adaptogenic effects where they help to build up our resilience and help us to deal with stressful situations better, just like exercise does for us as well. Uh, When we take stimulating herbs, we also feel really good and we have more energy and we feel great, but while we are taking those stimulating herbs. And then when we stop taking the stimulating herbs, we tend to have an opposite reaction and tend to um, be more tired and more sedated. The tonifying herbs, you know, once you take them, that benefit stays with you. it's not like you lose, you lose that. Whereas the stimulating herbs, it's, it's just there for you while you are taking it and then it stops. So coffee is the best example of a stimulating herb that I think most of us can relate to or black tea, where when we have that caffeine, we feel great. We are clear. We are able to work really well. Um, but then when we don't have that caffeine, that coffee and its benefits, um, you know, we feel more tired. We might even have, um, negative reaction, like a headache, or we just feel not well. And so what really happens when, when we get into the stimulating and sedating category of herbs is that they don't build health. They have a direct action and, um, But in the long run, 
they don't build health like the tonic herbs do. So they tend to, like if we start, if we take a stimulant like coffee, for example, we get used to the coffee. So then we can take, we drink more and more coffee with less of an effect and it actually can be more sedating at that point. Yeah, so when we have a sedative herb, like say if we're using valerian, which is a sedative herb to help us sleep, you know, well, that can potentially make us very sleepy. Um, but then when we take too much of it, you know, they, they say it's, it's often referred to as a valerian hangover where we'll actually wake up and still be really groggy and out of it. And it'll be hard for us to actually get to a high energy point after that. Um, and then another interesting thing about the stimulating and sedating herbs is they tend to have both effects on the body. So depending on how you are taking them or your specific constitution, um, like for example, valerian can be both stimulating or sedating depending on how you react to it. Half, you know, 20 to 30% of the population might actually be stimulated by valerian or if you take a really large amount of it, it could be more stimulating um, than sedating. So that all depends. Um, or like with coffee, coffee is very stimulating at first, but then you'll have like a, a crash from it. So in the long run, it actually can have a sedative effect. So these herbs, the stimulating and sedating category of herbs, ideally we, um, only use as needed and we don't, take them for long periods of time or daily. Although I do confess I am a coffee drinker and I do like my daily cup of coffee. We all have our vices. Um, other examples of stimulating and sedating herbs would be uh, cinnamon, ginger, hops, kava kava, licorice, passion flower, herbs like that. And then the last category of herbs are potentially poisonous herbs, which we don't take unless it's an extreme situation. Um, or so an example would be poke root. We're going to take that in very small, like single drop doses when we have a really tough infection that we can't move through the body otherwise. Golden seal is another example. Wormwood, cayenne, pepper. These all have um, detrimental effects on the body if we take too much of them. Um, and so we use them in really small doses and only when we need to. And we really want to avoid them as much as possible. And then the really poisonous herbs that I would prefer that we don't work with at all. And I think most herbalists think that often have been turned into pharmaceutical drugs and that's fine because those really poisonous herbs like you really need to have exact dosing for them to be safe and really the only way to do that is to take them out of their natural state and turn them into a a measured um, extracted standardized drug so when you're working with an herb, you want to first think, okay, what category does this 
fit into? Is this a nourishing herb? Is this like a food? Is this a tonifying herb? Um, Is this a stimulating or sedating herb? Or is this a poisonous herb? And based on that category, you already know how you're going to be working with that plant. And often, um, once you get more into the understanding of the categories of herbs and the herbs themselves, you also know the best, um, some of the best preparations that you can use for those herbs. So for example, like the nourishing herbs um, often are gonna be water-based or vinegar-based because we want the minerals and we want the nutrients. So the preparations we use are gonna be ones that are actually extracting those properties. Um, And the more stimulating and sedating herbs, we're gonna do more of a tea or a tincture with where we're either extracting the volatile oils in the tea um, or the tincture, we're gonna be extracting some more of their potent chemistry. And, And then the tincture allows us to use it in smaller amounts. Great. So I so when we are in right relationship with an herb, we understand um, the category that it's in and how to best incorporate it into our life in the safest way possible. Today, our herbal ally of the week is Hawthorne. And Hawthorne is actually, of course, there's going to be crossover in all those categories. So Hawthorne is a nourishing herb, but it's also a tonic and a tonifying herb. There tends to be a lot of um, interplay both with tonic herbs and nourishing herbs. And then there are also quite a few sedating and stimulating herbs that are also considered tonics, especially nervous system tonics um, or digestive tonics. So Hawthorne, I thought would be a really fun herb to talk about this week because it is the herb of the heart and we are approaching Valentine's Day, which is all about nurturing and nourishing the heart and love. So Hawthorne um, is a shrub. It's a tree or a shrub and it's in the rose family, the rosaceae family. And it's really closely related to apples. And so the genus is Crataegus, C-R-A-T-A-E-G-U-S. And that stems from a Greek word for strength, kratos, because the wood of the hawthorn is very, very hard wood. And so it's a very strong wood, and supposedly that's how it got its genus name. Although I also really like the idea of this herb being very strengthening to our body and to our our constitution and to our heart. And so I kind of like that thought as well. And I, I hope that that's also a reason why it was given that name. Other names it goes by is May Blossom or May Flower because it does bloom in May or um, White Thorn or just Thorn because it has these really large thorns. So the word Haw in Hawthorn um, is a word that refers to hedge 
And then it also is a word that refers to the fruit of the hawthorn tree are often called haws. But the word haw, from my understanding, is derived from a word meaning hedge. And the hawthorns traditionally were planted as hedgerows to help delineate fields and create fencing and even a a really dense barrier that would help keep at least larger animals out, ideally, of the fields. So the hawthorns are extremely varied. It's really hard to <clears throat> describe what a hawthorn looks like because they vary so much. I mean, they could be small shrubs, they could be big trees that grow up to 30 feet with very thick trunks. They have very differing leaves. Um, so there's up to 500 species um, potentially of hawthorns because they interbreed really easily, just like apple trees do. And so they just are always creating new species or varieties or cultivars, even within themselves. Then I'm sure they're also cultivated by humans and you know, you can, so then you can go and you can, if you want to plant a hawthorn on your property, you have a huge variety to choose from and they can really all be used interchangeably. So if you're looking for one that has like large fruit, you can find that relatively large fruit. They're all going to be smaller than apples, but, um, larger than a small berry size fruit. Or if you want to choose for the color of the flower, they range from white to even dark pink now. Uh, they're quite beautiful when they bloom. They just are covered with beautiful flowers that are similar to apple tree flowers, but a little um, denser clusters, I would say. And they um, have, so their fruit size can vary. The fruit color, shape, and taste varies. The leaves vary. Uh, even the size of the thorns. So almost all hawthorns have thorns on their stems, usually not on the main trunk of the tree, but on the branches and the smaller stems. And those can vary from, there are some that are up to like three inches long, like really, really long. I'd say one inch is going to be more common. And then some are even, you know, just a, a smaller than that, half an inch or so. So that can really vary as well. And supposedly there are also some species in, in more southern regions that don't have any thorns. So um, the flowers tend to bloom in May, same time when your apple trees are blooming. And they have a very strong smell to them. Some people consider it a sweet smell or a musky smell, and some people think of it more as like a rotting flesh smell, which I think attracts the pollinators, whether it be flies or bees. And they grow in North America, North Africa, Europe, and non-tropical parts of Asia. And anywhere in North America, from Canada all the way to Mexico. There is so much folklore around these plants. They're really seen as very magical shrubs, especially because 
at least in England and Ireland, they tend to bloom right on May Day. And, you know, such such beliefs as if you sleep under a hawthorn tree on a full moon in May or on May Day itself, you'll be transported to the realm of the fairies. Um, they are known for, because they bloom right around Beltane or May Day, they were used a lot in those rituals and fertility rites, and they were seen as um, symbols for love spells, along with roses, which are their close relative. They were um, thought to increase fertility, and but at the same time, they would also promote celibacy. So you'll notice like a lot with the folklore of Hawthorne that it's actually there's a lot of dichotomies of this tree where it's both um, thought to enhance fertility and chastity. And chastity. It can be a giver of love or um, can cause you know ba- bad luck. It can either protect your property or if you disrespect the tree, it can make bad luck befall you. So it's very interesting in that sense. One of the things that I loved reading is that it was thought at one point that witches would transform themselves into hawthorn trees. And you see these old hawthorn trees that are, you know, really kind of craggedy and rough and but beautiful, but they're thorny and kind of um, bent out of shape, so to speak. And But it was also thought that witches would always, or wise women, herbalists, would always have the hawthorns in their gardens and that they would have rituals under them. So lots of fun folklore there. Um, the constituents of the hawthorn, I think some of the main active constituents that we are really excited about that are in both the flowers, the leaves, and the berries are, they're very high in flavonoids and antioxidants and tannins and vitamins um, and quercetin, which is an anti-inflammatory. So some of its actions are that it is anti-inflammatory and astringent. Those tannins um, make it very astringent. So it helps tighten mucous membranes. It's a cardiac or a heart tonic, and it also helps to improve the flexibility of all of our blood vessels. It's a circulatory tonic, and it helps to modulate uh, blood blood pressure, and it also has a really nice um, benefit to the nervous system. It's a nervous system tonic as well. And you could think of it as very nourishing, calming, and restorative. Uh, All parts of the tree or shrub are medicinal and can be used interchangeably, whether it's the bark, the flowers, the leaves, or the berries. Um, The flowers and the leaves are harvested um, once they start to bloom and you can harvest the twig that is attached to the flower to get some of that bark as well. And the young leaves are going to be preferred over the older leaves. 
so earlier in the season, but it is said that if you harvest from the hawthorn before May or before it blooms, that it is bad luck. So definitely wait for it to start blooming uh, to harvest the flowers. But then once it starts blooming, those flowers, they don't last very long, especially if there's going to be rain or wind. So you really have to keep an eye on the shrubs and choose your moment to harvest them. You also want to make sure that they're very dry, that it hasn't rained recently when you harvest them. So um, a tonic for the cardiovascular, any kind of heart concern, think Hawthorne, Hawthorne for the aging heart, any sort of blood, blood pressure issues, circulatory issues, irregular heartbeat. Um, it just is very helps to bring the whole circulatory system into homeostasis, helps to lower cholesterol, prevent hardening of the arteries. And then not only does it help the physical heart and cardiovascular system, but it's also really thought, thought to help to en enable a courageous heart and benefit people who need to set boundaries to protect their hearts. Um, and it's thought to really help support people who are going through any sort of emotional heartbreak or grieving. Now, because it improves circulation, it can really be also beneficial for brain function and increasing blood and oxygen to the brain. And another really fun thing uh, that Hawthorne, especially the leaves and flowers, um, are they help improve connective tissue by strengthening the connective tissue and improving the health of the collagen um, and it actually accelerating collagen generation and growth. So that can be really helpful for joint health or if you have any tendons or ligaments that are needing repair. And um, it's nice to combine the flowers and leaves with a mineral rich um, herb as well, like some nettle or comfrey leaf for this benefit of healing and healing after surgery or healing, um, like joint damage. Hawthorne's also very beneficial for our digestive system, um, and for our nervous system, which I find a lot of times uh, herbs that are beneficial for our cardiovascular system often are also beneficial for our nervous system. So it helps to ease the nerves, especially with anxiety or agitation or for people who have a hard time sleeping due to grief or anxiety, um, for people who have a hard time expressing their feelings or may, might tend to suppress their emotions. There's lots of different ways that you can prepare your Hawthorne. Again, it can be the flowers, the leaves, or you can harvest the fruit in the fall. And then also these are items of commerce. So you can buy dried hawthorn flowers and leaves and you can buy dried hawthorn berry and you can make your preparations from that. You can make tea or infusion. Uh, it'll be very astringent infusion if you make the full strength, uh, like a strong long brew infusion of the flowers and leaves. I like to make a tincture with the berries. And so you can just take dried berries. You can buy dried berries and fill a jar. Um, 
you know, a third full with the dried berries and then fill the jar all the way full with 100 proof vodka. And that's and then just let it sit for at least six weeks, but really ideally for a whole year. You can make kind of a couple different jars. So in six weeks, you can start using one jar and then, you know, maybe save your other jar so that you'll be able to open it in a year and you can notice the difference. Um, but just taking a small amount every day or maybe for a month and then taking a break like we were talking about for the tonic herbs if you feel like your heart could use some support or your nervous system could use some support or if you're working through some grief now uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about cordials so cordials these days well there's two (laughs) cordial you could be when you're saying someone's very cordial it's like they're very sincere and honest and speaking from the heart and very kind and generous people um and but then cordials also now refer to uh, liqueur which is usually a sweet liqueur um it's usually infused with a fruit or an herb flowers so um you could make a hawthorn berry cordial and the word cordial is stems from the Latin word cor, C-O-R, which means heart. And so when f- the word cordial first came into use in the 14th century, it literally meant of or relating to the heart. And then this definition was kind of lost by the 17th century. Um, and now it's just kind of skewed into this whole just blurred realm or gray area of liqueurs and bitters and cordials and mixology. But originally a cordial was um, of European origin and maybe even Italian origin. And it was um, first produced in the Italian apothecaries during the Renaissance and in the 15th and 16th centuries. The cordials were basically herbs that were used. It was a medicine that was used and it was herbs that were beneficial for the heart and just for, um, to invigorate and to revitalize people. It was thought to bring vitality to the body and to improve the health of the spirit and to cure all diseases, kind of a cure all these herbal cordials. And then I think they were also tended to be aphrodisiac and then people were getting really excited and then they started drinking them less like medicine and more like booze. And then it kind of morphed into cordials being more imbibed for their intoxicating effects versus their medicinal virtues and became more of a recreational drink and evolved into the liqueurs. So that is interesting, I find. Um, but I th- I'd like to reclaim the cordial and I'd like to reclaim it as a heart healthy um, herbal medicine, but it's also fun. Definitely Hawthorne cordial would be perfect because it is a fruit, it's a berry. And I think brandy is often the base for a lot of cordials, but you could use any sort of alcohol that you would like. You could just stick with the 100 proof vodka 
Um, you could even just call your hawthorn tincture a cordial and maybe put a little honey in it to sweeten it uh, just to make it a little more exciting. But And then if you wanted, you could also put some, maybe a couple little spices in there, maybe a little cinnamon or a little cardamom or... Um, or just leave it plain, Hawthorne, which I think tends to be the way I like to go with it. And so to make your Hawthorne cordial, just like I was talking about your tincture, it would be one third full of a jar of dried berries, or if you had fresh berries, you could fill your jar pretty much all the way up to the top and then of the jar and then cover, you know, fill your jar again with whatever alcohol you're using um, or a combination of two thirds alcohol and one third honey works well. And shake it up and let it sit and steep. The longer, the better, um, but six weeks is the minimum and um, see how it goes. See what you think. The reason why you do a third full of the dry berries is because they are going to grow. They're going to absorb a lot of that liquid and rehydrate and they will grow and fill your jar. And if you had done a full jar of the dried berries, they would grow and break your jar as they grew so and cause a big mess. So don't do that. So go out there, see if you can find yourself some hawthorn berries and or some hawthorn flowers and leaves and tend to your heart. Uh, that's all I have for you today. You can find me at Solidago Herb School on Instagram or Facebook or my website, solidagoherbschool.com. And until next week, be well and have fun with herbs. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.